You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Tech Fan 92, I'm Tim Robertson. I'm David Cohen. So, David, I've been uh, neck deep in work this entire week. And even though I did get somewhat caught up on uh, at least the Amazon announcements, I really didn't see anything else out there. I just I didn't have time, to be honest. Yeah. So uh, I am ill-prepared to uh, sit down and discuss uh, factual what happened this week. But um, fill me in. What's What's been going on in the tech world? Well, I mean, Amazon has been, you know, has, has got the big heat, obviously, with their announcements. As they should. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, they, they kind of made, a, I think, a bigger play than everyone was expecting yesterday, mm-hmm. um, which in itself is interesting. Um, obviously, uh, you know, they're not the only ones. Nokia did a big launch of their Windows 8 phones. Um, but, you know, they're unlike the Amazon launch where you got given prices, you got given dates, you got given detailed specs um, and the opportunity to ask questions, uh, the Nokia event, I believe you got none of that. So it was kind of like a service thing. It's like, hey, here's this thing we've made. Um, look out for it soon. <laughs> it's kind of like, why, why bother? And then they kind of screwed it up a little bit more because a lot of the features they were they were kind of going on about how great the camera was in this and yeah, it turned out all the videos and photos they shot or they demonstrated with the cameras were actually shot with DSLRs and not with the uh, not with the devices themselves that I did read a little bit of and uh, yeah. the nice thing is you can't get away with that crap anymore you, you yeah. can't use a DSLR and say yeah that's my iPhone 1 pictures I took those with the iPhone 1 what? No, you didn't. Well, I, uh, we we didn't mean to infer that we that was taken. It, it's like a sample of what you could do with an iPhone one. Well, yeah, but your marketing said that was the iPhone one pictures. I, I, oh, yeah. we, nev- we never actually specifically said in a disclaimer at the bottom of the thing. This was definitely taken with the phone we are advertising with this advert. <laughs> um, I, I what what amazes me about this is that. Um, First of all, that, that people do think they can get away with it. And secondly, again, and we've talked about this before, the fundamental disrespect certain aspects of these companies have for their consumers. You know, you, can, you, you, you know that the conversation was had within Nokia about the marketing for these devices. And you know that at some point somebody said, oh, well, shouldn't we actually be making these with the actual devices? And somebody else went, oh, no, it doesn't matter. No, you know? it didn't happen that way, David, unfortunately. Um, that's not the way these big businesses are run. They don't control their own advertising for the most part. Now, Apple uh, traditionally has been very hands-on with their advertising, and Amazon has been very hands-on with their advertising. But most tech companies, most companies in general, um, don't. They're not. They hire big companies like Leo Burdett, big advertising agencies, who basically do all the work and all the company really supplies them with is the product itself and artwork well they must supply them a brief and there must be uh, some level of approval of the products and somebody at some point has to say oh well this appears to be um, advertising this product was it made with this product no that's not how no. it works though that's well you know yeah, but it should work because at the I end agree, of the day but it doesn't it, you know a, a, a big company doesn't matter who whether it's a big company or a mom and pop um, thing who's doing their own TV ads yeah the media company the advertising company they work for you you have the opportunity by the fact that you are paying them money to do work for you to specify what you want and it is incumbent on the person purchasing those services to specify their expectations and not just say, oh, here's a product, go and do what you want. Because it's their message. They're the ones who take the heat if it's wrong. Not the, not you know, punky dunk um, media company. Or, You're right. That's the way uh, it know. should be. Here, here's how it really works, though. The company that's making the product, a division within that company is making that product. They get close to the finish line. A project manager that's in charge of messaging is brought in. That person is not a tech person. And they're also not an advertising executive. They're more of an account manager. 
This is their account within the company. Their job is to be the go-between for this project between the advertising agency and in a company like Nokia, there's many advertising agencies that they use, and the, co- and the company itself. Their job is to facilitate product between the company and the advertising agency to bring back proofs from the advertising agency back to the company where a committee will look it over. It's the project manager's job to make sure everything is on the up and up, but they're not trained to do it correctly most of the time. Uh, most of the time, it's someone that has only been there for a couple years. They're, they're not some seasoned veteran. They're relatively new out of school. And they're dealing with an advertising agency and a project manager on that side who's much more experienced. And a lot of jargon is used, and the project managers get confused. They don't really know what the person's telling them. But they can't come out and say, I don't know what that means. Because that would show weakness, and heaven forbid they show any weakness. And eventually, the company signs off on the ads because they don't know any better. The people that are making those decisions aren't the people who built the, the device. They're, they're not from the manufacturing arm or the R&D arm. They're from the marketing arm of the company, and they don't know the difference between DSLR and a cell phone picture they just don't uh, know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I understand what you're trying to say. I still think... You're right. It should work better. I'm telling yeah, but, you the way uh, it actually I, does work. Yeah, but you know what? The media companies should know better. If they're, if they're really good media companies, they should know. They should understand that in, when you're doing tech, rep, uh, tech, tech advertising, that there is a difference between representing something, faking something, and actually doing it with the product. And one of the first questions they should ask when they receive the brief is, do you want us to actually use the product to, to, um, to, as, as the de- for the demonstration process, or do you want us to mock it up? It's, first, it's got to be the first rule of tech advertising, surely. It's, you know, it's like, like with, a, with a car advert. It's like, do you want us to actually use the real car, or do you want us to use um, you know, kind of Hollywood techniques? To, sh- to show it doing the backflip or whatever you know the ad's going to do, you know it's 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 going to it's going to be a question asked any time anybody is putting stuff to film. Surely they're going to ask that same thing. You know, do you want um, George Clooney to actually uh, be holding the coffee product, or do you want um, him just to be a spokesman doing the voiceover? You know, it's just it's a question that the media company needs to ask and. I find it hard to believe in this situation that Nokia, that no that at no point nobody uh, between Nokia and the company who made these ads said, um, you know, this is a representation, right? You know, it's not real. And a, and a conversation was had about how that was going to be presented. The ad, were they going to put uh, a disclaimer on the bottom or that sort of thing? You know you how know. it probably happened. The advertising agency did the work. Nokia saw it. And that was it. They liked it. It looked good. That was it. No well, one no one ever passed down to the guy, boots on the ground, saying, no, you, you really need to use this camera. Because if they have done that, the guy on the ground would have done it because he doesn't get to make those choices. No one no. above him told him, because quite honestly, David, no one probably even thought of it. Because most of the time, these ads are never made by the devices themselves. It's just not done. And usually there's such a lead time that the advertising agency has to have this in that has to coincide with the launch. They probably didn't even have working models. Well, so, so that's fine. Then, then you, just put, you just put a disclaimer on the bottom saying um, sequences uh, depict experience rather than sequences are experience. It's not hard. I agree. No. That should have been done. But I don't think it was nefarious. And I think that's where a lot of the websites out there are getting it wrong. They think that Nokia in this instance was trying to be disingenuous. I don't think they really were. I think in some respects it's worse because it was apathy. Yeah. But well, I don't I, think they I were mean, trying I, to be deceitful. No, I, I, don't th- I don't think it's malicious. I no, it's laziness. Trying, and, it's, yeah. and it's a culture. But, but I, I think it's, it, is, it does show that ultimately they're so wrapped up inside their own process. They're not thinking about how these things are going to be perceived by the people who are going to hand over the money for the product. 
Yeah, but that, I think that's more yeah. of an institutional problem. Yeah, well, uh, I agree. Not just agree. at Nokia, but oh, at, yeah, most, no, at most companies worldwide. Definitely, I completely agree with you. Um, but I, I just, I, I decry the fact that it is so. Give you an example of that. As you know, we're opening that store. And just this last week, or a couple weeks ago, I changed one of our table sizes. We were going to have one of the uh, six-foot round tables. Yeah. And uh, once the showroom was built up enough where I can kind of see where things would go, I realized pretty quickly there's no way in hell that that was going to work. And I, and I showed the people who worked for me why it wasn't going to work. Because no matter where you put it, it was going to impede progress of people walking through the store. Um, especially where we were going to place it between the door and service. That means people yeah. carrying, for instance, a 27-inch iMac to get it repaired have to walk around this thing, and there's going to be people at this table playing with iOS devices. That's not good. So in that regard, I'm trying to figure out how the store is laid out, not how we can display things the best, but how it's going to be laid out for the comfort of the people coming into the store. If, if I'm coming in to fix my iMac, this big freaking table with people standing too deep around it is going to be a problem. The solution? We scrap the idea for the big six-foot round. And remember, this is all custom-built furniture. This, uh-huh. is, this is not cheap stuff. I mean, this is custom-built. We scrapped a six-foot and went with a uh, four-by-six instead because we can position it better and we could alleviate that problem. Actually, it saved me money because it was cheaper to go with a, a 4 by 6 than a 6-foot well, round. As long as the 6-foot round's not already made, then... No, yeah, he, had, he had made the legs already, but they're exactly the no, sa- no, same okay, legs okay. as as the 4 by 8 so... I kind of had this vision for a minute of the uh, Robertson family sitting down to dinner uh, at a brand new round 6-foot <laughs> table for a minute there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He, he, here's the, here's all my employees. Here's your new break table. Yeah, exactly. I, I know you're going to have to crawl over the top of it to get to the other side in the break room, but, man, look at how nice it is. No, I mean, actually, that's one thing that winds me up. I, I go to a lot of conferences where they have these big round tables, and it annoys me because uh, above a certain size, it's such a huge waste of space because you can't use any of the space in the middle of the table because nobody can reach it. Right. So you end up with everyone kind of perched around the outside, uh, and then a great big whacking white space in the middle. Uh, and then when you are trying to maneuver around the floor, you're thinking, why are these tables so goddamn big? Yep. Yep. It's, uh, you know, you, you, it, there's a balance between showing off something in the best light possible and allowing as many people as possible hands-on experience. Yeah. How do you do that without wasted space? It's, it's not easy. It's not no. easy. So let's take our quick first break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk Kindle and Amazon. Be right back. I'm Alisa Pasali. I'm Suze Gilbert. I'm Vicki Stokes. And we're the three geeky ladies. You could be watching Hoarders. Or you could be reading Fifty Shades of Grey. You could be ghost hunting. Or you could be listening to the three geeky ladies. So put down that book, shut off the TV, and turn on your iPod. And listen to the three geeky ladies. Find us on iTunes under the Stoplight Network. Back with Tech Fan number 92. Again, if you guys want to send us feedback, we'd love it. It's techfanpodcast.com. There's a button that says contact us. Just as simple as that. Now, if you want to send us audio that we could play right here on the show, that's real easy to do, too. All you have to do is record yourself on your iPhone or Android device and mail that audio, whatever, MP3 probably, to tim at mymac.com. T-I-M at M-Y-M-A-C dot com. And we'll play it right here on the show. Um, I kind of was somewhat excited about the announcement from Amazon this week, David, to be honest. Uh, as I talked about a couple months ago, I bought the uh, the Kindle Touch. 
Uh-huh. And while I like reading on it, I hate almost everything else about it. I like the physical size. It works well. But the user interface is just terrible. Yeah, it's interesting because I've got the... Uh, I just recently, once in San Francisco last week, picked up the um, the basic Kindle, the Kindle with ads, or the special offers. The and how much was the, it? The cheapest one you can buy. You don't remember how much? Uh, $79. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was cheap. Uh-huh. Just, you know, I'm saving UK tax and that sort of thing as well. There's £79 here, or at least they were until yesterday. Um, so that's a bargain. And, uh, you know, I've had, I had the second generation, I think, with the keyboard, uh, and this is so much better. I mean, it's so responsive, um, and the screen, you know, responds so quickly. And ergonomically, because of the size and the weight of it, it's a very comfortable reading experience, and I'm really pleased with it. You know when the iPad, the new iPads, I'm going to call them iPad 3, mm-hmm. when they came out, I did want one, but I wasn't so enamored with the iPad 2 over my original iPad. But the iPad 3 with the retina display and all that was enough of a leap for me to want to uh, get one. And I honestly didn't think, after buying the Kindle Touch, and I knew those new Kindles around the corner, that I would want to buy one. I got to say, though, and the one I got was in the 129 range. Yeah. That would put me now at the Kindle Paperwhite. The Wi-Fi only. No 3G. Yeah. Honestly, I kind of wish I would have waited at this point. Well, I mean, it, I, I think the pa- the whole thing about the Paperwhite is really going to depend about um, how you read. Because it has, a, it has a, a higher pixel density... But you know what? I, even with the even with the previous generations of Kindles, that pixels don't really mean anything with an e-ink display. Um, it, it's it's kind of a it's a bit of a and, and one of the things that I think I came out to me yesterday from the Amazon presentation. It was a bit heavy on specs um, rather than yeah, you know, kind of heavy on on the user interface and user experience, which obviously is the way Apple often tends to do things, and they they will downplay the specs. To me, you know, having a higher resolution e-ink screen waste of time the what the one i have now i can't see the pixels on it so I, i'm not sure that that's that's a good thing now if you read in the dark which i regularly do. read in bed which then i do having having a built-in light and it's a, by all accounts a pretty funky light as well in terms of a, a front lit built into the screen display um light now that's that's kind of different that's the part that i i really kind of liked I thought, wow, I wish mine had that built-in light. I totally yeah. would. It would change the way I use my Kindle Fire or my Ki- my, I, my Kindle Touch. And I think one of the things that Apple, uh, that Amazon is very good at, um, kind of in a Microsoft-style way, is is taking feedback with each generation of the project of a product and then refining it to get rid of the problems people have. So, for instance, with this new one, um, I understand that it has a capacitive touchscreen, kind of like an iPad, rather than a resistive touchscreen like the previous one did, mm-hmm. which, by all accounts from everyone who's played with it, fixes all of the interface touch problems that people had with the one you've got yep. that kind of pushed me towards the, the cheaper Kindle because it has buttons rather than a touchscreen. So, um, fact, you know, no, well, the the che- the cheap one still has the the buttons, and that's yeah. sixty nine dollars now. But the, but the reason I bought my one rather than the touch was because I didn't want one with the touch screen. Based on your feedback and other feedback I read that said the touch screen was pretty horrible, um, and this one apparently has resolved that problem. Well, you know, we'll see when they actually start shipping to people's hands. But the word on the street is that it's much better from that regard. So, uh, yeah, interesting. But you know what? Um, I think what really blew me away about Amazon's launch yesterday wasn't any individual product they launched. It was the fact they launched seven products in one go. I mean, I really, this really was Amazon making a statement saying, you know, we've got away from just having a smallish product line and iterating every year into something that's like a barrage of, you know, we really want to try and make a big play for this space. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it's a good move for them, you know. So they they dropped the price to the original Kindle Fire. It's like 150 bucks now. Yeah, and it's slightly upgraded. I think it's got a bit more RAM, um, right. and uh, you know it's slightly modified. But they also have the Kindle Fire HD, which, which is the same size. Yeah, 
but it's um, it has a higher density screen and 16 gig of memory rather than eight. Which and is the stereo one. audio. Yeah. The Kindle uh, Fire HD, 8.9 inch, and the Kindle yeah. Fire HD 8.9 inch with 4G, which is basically the same thing except for one has 4G connection, one doesn't. But let's look at the middle product because I think this is the one that will sell most for them. I don't think most people give a crap about 4G. There's enough yeah. Wi-Fi out there that, yeah, whatever. So, uh, a Kindle Fire HD 8.9, let's just call it a 9-inch screen. Yeah. What what does that compete against, David? Uh, that apparently is square in the middle of the iPad. Mm-hmm. And it's two ninety nine. Yeah, I, I think this is um, a very interesting play. Now, right. they, they talked very straightforwardly yesterday about how they sell hardware at cost uh, and look to, you know, make money off the ecosystem. Yep. I mean, they, they, everyone's always suspected that, but they basically came out and said it yesterday. Yep. So, um, you and know... Let's be honest, how else are you going to compete with the iPad? Yeah. Because, look, if you've got the same specs, roughly the same specs, that any most people give a crap about, and you've got less software, you've got Less almost everything. And it's the same price point as the iPad, which is dominating the market. You're going to have no chance. So yeah. here's a device that suffers from the same thing. Uh, you don't get all the apps that you can get on the iOS. Not even close. The screen is almost the same size. Um, high density. So high density, so it looks great. Retina-ish, if it's not actual retina, mm-hmm. as, as Apple defines it. And it's half the price. That's pretty. Yeah, what's, what's what's the cheapest you pay for a, a iPad two now? Is it three ninety nine? Three ninety nine. So it's hundred so dollars cheaper. But I don't think it's really competing with that one. I think it's competing with, because let's be honest, it's got a much better screen than the iPad yeah. two. Yeah, but I'm just saying. If, if, I, I mean. These things From a are all price li- point. Yes. Yeah, these things are all interesting to us tech geeks, but for, for the man on the street who's never bought a tablet before, the first question they're going to ask is: Should I buy into Apple's ecosystem or should I buy into Amazon's? Yep. You know, before they start fiddling down to the specs, so I don't think they do the comparison between, um, you know, well, this one has a slightly better screen than the equivalent Apple one. I think they basically say, all right, what, where do I start? money-wise with Apple, and where do I start money, money-wise with Amazon for something that's roughly equivalent? Uh, and then they take the decision from there. Because I think you can always... you can if you, once It's kind of self-affirming, isn't it? Once you decide which ecosystem you want to buy into, you can kind of self-justify yourself Absolutely. $100 either way. Um, but or, a Wi-Fi model for $299, roughly the same size screen, roughly the same... Pixel density, high resolution screen, all that. I got to be honest, David. I think this is a a big deal. But that being said, they've got one drawback that I don't know if is insurmountable or not. While we know that a lot of people, including us, buy a lot of stuff online, when it comes to devices like this, people like to touch them and look at them first. They really do. And Amazon don't have their own stores like Apple does. They don't have an independent chain like my company is. They don't have... uh, They're not in Target. They're not in Walmart. They're not in all the... I I see iPads for sale all over the place. Well, I saw Kindle Fires for sale in Best Buy last week. Do they not uh, sell into Best Buy? Uh, Maybe they do, but I haven't been into a Best Buy in a while. Yeah, Best Buy has its own problems anyway. Um, but you're certainly right in that it may it may well be available at certain retail outlets, but it's not as ubiquitously available as the iPad is, which can be bought all over the place. You know, um, I, I think a lot of people do are going to have a at least want to have a cursory look at it. I think there's a, there's a wider problem with a nine inch tablet though. Um, I, I I've had a few people here here in my office who've been thinking about getting tablets for their kids. And I think this is a fairly representative use case. It was, it was my feeling anyway. They're basically saying, okay, well, I could buy buy my kid a laptop for school or I could get them a tablet. Um, and I think the kid would prefer a tablet and uh, the tablets are cheaper 
and um, so I'm kind of going towards that, and then they come and ask me what I think. And you know, even though I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of Apple and I have iPad myself, you know, I try and be fairly balanced and representative about it. I, I've been laying the options out to people. I talked about, um, I, I said to people, don't buy anything the next couple of weeks because Amazon's got new new products coming and. Uh, until yesterday, the Kindle Fire wasn't available in the UK. It is now, but only the seven-inch version, not the uh, not the nine-inch. Um, but I said, yeah, well, it maybe that tells you something about how many they expect to sell. Maybe they're being more conservative about those. But that's by the by. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I said to them, I said, Amazon's got something coming, but Apple has something coming. Um, so don't buy anything now until we, we see how come that plays out. But then we started talking about the features and the specs, and they kind of said, oh, okay, well, why wouldn't I buy the cheaper one from Amazon? So I said, well, what do you want the child to do with it? You know, if you want to uh, watch videos and read books and browse the web a little bit and do a bit of email and Facebook and that sort of thing, then any of these tablets, the Google Nexus 7 or the uh, Kindle Fire or anything, will probably do the job for you. I said, but if you're looking to do schoolwork on it, which, guess what, most of them are, I said, you need to think about not only the size of the device, but also the software you're going to run on it. So uh, the th- one of the ladies I was speaking to said, well, you know, my daughter's going to want to um, write some papers for school and put graphics from the web and that sort of thing in it, uh, and then print it out and have something that looks nice you can turn in for a homework. So I said, well, if you, that's what you want, then you really need to think about an iPad because they have this great app called Pages that is really slick and produces wonderful-looking documents, and it's very easy to use. I said, you can do that on Android, but it's a lot harder, and the apps aren't as good, and the media isn't as integrated. And I said, it will be kind of like if you're using an old PC. Yeah? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was up front. I said, to be honest with you, the best way of doing all of this, if you're going to do schoolwork all the time, is a laptop. Yeah. But I said, you know, if you don't... Yeah, but if you don't want a laptop or maybe you think about a tablet with a keyboard, I said it's hard to get away from the iPad, even though it's more expensive, because the software is just much better. Now, that's that's a problem that Amazon faced with the 9-inch Kindle Fire. Because, you know, if you are... Basically, you're in the market for buying something cheap to watch video on... Why would you buy the 9-inch over the 7? I don't know. Why? Uh, well, that's, that's, that's the question I think that Amazon has maybe asked itself. And I, it seemed to me, and, and really what conf- this is my initial thought, and what confirmed it to me was the availability in the UK, where basically they've launched, they've not launched the Paperwhite, they've, not la- they've cut the price of the existing Kindle to £69 um, and upgraded it. They've launched the... Um, but the Kindle Touch is still available here. There's no paper white, and then they've got the Fire in the seven-inch um, models, both the original updated and then the HD models. Uh, so you've got the original for eight gig, which is 129 pounds, um, which is cheap. Yep. I can I can remember when the when the e Kindles cost more than that, um, and then 159 pounds for the HD. Eight, uh, seven inch, and then um, I think it's 199 pounds for the HD with a 32 gig of memory. And that yet they've not launched the nine inch here, and I think the reason for that is they want to see how it goes because they're not sure how it's going to sell. I think they're fairly confident they could sell the HD seven inches um, at least as well as the one they had before. But I suspect they're taking it a little bit softly, softly with the nine inch to see whether they really can go toe to toe with Apple or not. I think they're. I think it's something simpler than that. I think it's uh, Amazon's very confident that this is going to sell like hotcakes, the two ninety nine one, and uh, they don't want the wait period to go up too high, so they launch it in one region first, supply that demand, and then roll it out everywhere else. The only problem with that is it didn't take a year to get to the UK. The, the demand wasn't that high. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, a lot of people think, you know, oh, I'll tell me you're, you you work for a Mac, uh, an Apple specialist. You you own my Mac and blah, 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 blah. So you're a Mac guy. You're never going to recommend a Kindle. Oh, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> I, yeah. I own two Kindles. Uh, I am. I had this conversation uh, two days ago. 
I was talking to a coworker. Um, he was looking at buying some video game. He wanted to get something on the cheap that he would enjoy. But unfortunately, he's an Xbox guy. And I said, "Oh, it's too bad you uh, you don't own a PS3 because uh, I'm a Plus member on PS3, and I think it costs me fifty bucks a year." But right now, there's some really great games that you could download for free. And as long as you remain a Plus member, you have access to play these games anytime you want. And I rolled off a couple numbers or a couple games at him, and he was like, wow, that's a good deal. And and I said, you know, honestly, uh, my first generation PS3 died, and I lost all my saved games on there. Uh, You know, the progress. And I said, it really ticked me off. But... They and Microsoft for the Xbox now have this cloud storage thing, so you can save your saved games in the cloud, and if your machine dies, you're safe. Unfortunately, they rolled that out a couple months after my PS3 died, so eh, yeah. what are you going to do? Um, but if I was, if you had a PS3, I would suggest you get this game called uh, The Saboteur, and I explained what the game was to him, and he was like, that sounds awesome. And he, as we were talking, he pulls his iPhone out and he looks it up and he, he can get it for 15 bucks. And I was like, dude, that's a steal. It's an awesome game. I've been wanting to play it, but I was 90% complete with the game, but on my old console. So I'd have to start over from scratch. Yeah. But I think it might almost be worth it because I really dug the game. And he says, damn it, i got to go out and buy a PS3. Well, another, another co-worker had heard that and he says, oh, I... I I like the Xbox. And he said, which one do you prefer? And I said, I don't care. I'm agnostic. Wherever this game is that I want to play, if I don't have that system, then I'll get that system and play the game. Because while you're playing the game, who gives a crap what it's playing on? Really? Who cares? It could yeah. be running off your toaster. I'm I'm playing this game. That's My interface is the controller... And the space between my eyes and the television. You know what I mean? Who who cares yeah. what the box is? What I don't I don't get I get it some when it comes to tablets and computers. I understand why people want to be in one camp or the other because there's huge differences. It just how you use the, the applications and what's available. I don't get it so much on the game consoles. Most of the AAA titles come out for the PS3 or the Xbox. Yeah. But then you have a lot of games that don't come out for both platforms. Why would you cut yourself off from all these games? Because you happen to not like this as much as that. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I suppose it depends where you are in the market. If you're a, an adult with disposable income, then, yeah, you just buy, you know, the cost of the consoles is kind of in, inconsequential compared to what you spend on the software. You know, what's the cost of a, a console nowadays? About three or four games at most. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, if you're, if you're a teenager or a kid who uh, might be asking for a console as a present or putting their own money together for it, then... You kind of have to decide, and, and once you kind of bought into an ecosystem again, you're you, they do try and tie you in, you know, with the with the online games and with backward compatibility for old consoles. Got to admit, I I um I was very pleasantly surprised recently when I um when I found out that the Xbox 360 could play the old Xbox games. Most of easily. them, not all of them. Yeah, well, I I was particularly after Halo 2 because I'd played. The original Halo, uh, and I played Halo Three, but I never played Halo Two, and I heard it was a great game, and I was pleasantly surprised to find I could just buy the Xbox version and stick it in, and away I go, and it works great. Yep. You know, but those sort of things can be um, motivators to a particular platform for certain certain classes of a market. Yeah. Um, and 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 obviously, once you're once you kind of bought into one, then you are probably inclined to uh, unless you've had particular problems to stick with that brand for the next generation um so uh, and you know the, the stuff that kind of interacts between different platforms from the same manufacturers say with sony with their handhelds and their ps3s then yeah but they've been terrible at it oh well yeah yeah i'm not, sh- I'm not s- sometimes though the idea of the feature actually is more of a sell than the actual feature itself how many times <laughs> yeah. you know how many times have you have you you know, I always uh, the, the prime example of this I always used to think was removable batteries. There's that big fuss when the iPhone first came out, 
um, because they didn't have a removable battery, and people were going, "How can you? How can they not offer this feature?" You know. But then you say to people, and some people say, "I would never buy a phone with without a removable battery, so that I I could change it if I uh, if I needed to." And run out. And then you ask, "Okay, okay, well, do you own a removable ba- a second battery for your phone?" Most people said no. I said. Have you ever owned a second battery for your phone? Have you ever, in the field, changed a battery for a charged one? And most people would always say no, and yet many of those people would think having a changeable battery was an important feature. Touche. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. And, of course, you know, what, what, what's happened now? The market's adapted because uh, what everyone buys now is an external battery for phones that plugs in through the port. And guess what? That's a much better solution than the changeable battery because you can charge other things off the thing. We got this uh, case. We're starting to get some of our accessories that we're going to be selling in the new store. Yeah. And one of these things that we got, I can't. I think Mophie makes it, but I could be mistaken about that. Uh, it's a case. It's an iPhone case with swappable batteries. And it comes with two batteries. <laughs> and I thought, that's kind of a good idea. But then I thought, yeah. wow, do I really want to carry this a second battery with me? But, you know, if I was an iPhone user and I was draining the juice, maybe that might be uh, a good solution. I actually do carry multiple batteries for mine. I have a, a very, very small one that's from um, HyperMac that's about the size of a cigarette lighter. Mm-hmm. That's really good because you can always slip that into a jacket pocket or something, right. and it gives you it gives you like one full charge. Well, this is a this and is a case though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the problem with the case is you are kind of you know you're putting all that bulk on, um, and then you're carrying the case whether you need the battery or not. True. Um, and and uh, th- but then I also have another one, a bigger one that actually has USB ports that will charge my iPad and my phone, and and I tend to carry that around with me in my bag as well. So I kind of have multiple things. The the problem with changeable batteries is that it's how do you charge the battery that's not in the device? And this was all this was what I could never see about having a spare phone for like a spare battery for say a Nokia phone is to charge it. You had to take a fully charged battery off and then put a flat one on to charge it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it was like, who's going to do that? So you'd end up with something you were carrying around with you, but most times when you want to need it, it would be flat anyway. Yep. So or only you know, have least, partial charge. Yeah, or... Exactly. At least with the, with multiple external batteries, you can kind of plug them in and make sure they're always fully charged before you travel or something like that. But um, it's, it's interesting we have these problems because, of course, what these devices are doing for the battery life we get out of them really is amazing. Oh, it's, you know, know. what I don't understand is why that technology, battery technology, hasn't worked its way into everything else yet. Yeah, why why do you still have to put crappy AA batteries that last for a few weeks in your remote for your TV? Absolutely. (laughs) You know, why why are they not, you know, uh, because with the low power draw for those, you'd think that the sort of battery that's in a MacBook Air if you put that in a remote for a TV, you know, the thing would last, like, for three years before you need to recharge it. Absolutely. And, you know, they've got that capacitive charge now, so you can just have this little math that you keep your remotes on, and it just keeps yeah. everything charged up. I guess it's just because it's cheaper just to stick a battery holder in and let people buy the double A's. No. Yeah. That, same, I, same I also think it's inertia. <laughs> so. It's inertia. Yeah. It's just the way it's always been, so why change it? If it's not broke, don't fix it. Well, it is broke. Yeah, it is. I, I, well, I'm sat in front of a MacBook Air here. This is the new one that I bought last week. Mm-hmm. And this, there is, it's 11-inch. There is nothing to this thing. It's tiny. Yep. And yet it lasts for six hours on a charge. And I just picked it up this morning. I hadn't used it for five days. Uh, the last time I used it was on the plane the way back from the States. Um, and I've turned it up, and we've been going this podcast for nearly an hour, and it's still got two and a half hours battery life in it. It's crazy. The thing that's, that's hardly here. Yeah. You know, it's amazing, and with a great big bright screen and everything, you know. It's got a fantastic screen. I love yeah. the screens on those. Yeah. Um, I want to run back to video games before we um, wrap up here. And again, we would love to get feedback from you guys. Go to techfanpodcast.com, click the Contact Us button. And leave us con- uh, leave, leave us a, a comment, or you could comment on, you know, the, the post for this episode at techfanpodcast.com or mymac.com. And if you're going to be there anyways, click the Amazon banner and buy something through Amazon. We'd appreciate it. Uh, before I go to my last thing, though, uh, we did get 
our uh, old friend Peter Bird. He said he would. He said he would. Uh, hello, Tim and David. Well, I got to say I agree with you about Samsung, and I'm just amazed they got away with it for so long, but glad it's been brought to light. After all, Apple isn't the first company Sam ha- Samsung has done this to, and I don't think it's going to be the last. Uh, it looks like it's their apparent business model, and I think you're right. But I don't know. Uh, <laughs> this is a billion-dollar lawsuit. And yeah, you know, I read something, David, that I also thought was kind of eye-opening. How has Samsung been doing the last few years? Pretty good, right? Well, you would think so. Right. But they've been copying everybody, specifically yeah. Apple. Nokia hasn't been copying everybody. How have they been doing? Not so well. You know, that's got to make you stop and wonder, well, wait a minute, if if you're an employee... Or you're running this company, you're copying everyone, and you're making you know twenty billion dollars, and yeah, you get hit by a lawsuit for you know less than five billion, but you're still doing well. The ones who didn't copy, that's trying to innovate their way out of a bad business model, they're not doing so well. Who, who would you rather be? Would you rather right now? Would you rather be Samsung or would you rather be Nokia? I think I'd rather be Samsung, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, there is something to that. Um, you know, there's, there, look, there's a fine line between homage and inspiration and, and actual duplication. Um, and obviously this lawsuit suggests that, that Samsung crossed that line by by some degree. But, uh, you know, a lot of people get by, uh, a lot of companies get by by staying the right side of that line and still being inspired by the design work of others. And... Um, the, what you can't deny is that the Apple look and the Apple aesthetic sells, and there is a certain class of the market who can't or won't buy Apple products but still want to have that aesthetic. And Samsung's definitely been cashing in on that. I agree. Um, you know, Nokia, not so much. Hmm. Uh, what's interesting, I find interesting about, about these new devices is they are they are fairly unique in how they look, but between each of the devices, you can't tell them apart. Yep. And to me, that's a little bit of a problem. You know, one of the one of the all right. Suppose you can't tell the between the iPhone four and the four S. Um, I if I'd had a long conversation with somebody about my iPhone four recently, and they were going on about Siri and what do you think about Siri, and and it was only about ten minutes in that they realised my phone didn't have Siri on it because it was a four on the four S. Right. Um, but generally. Um, every couple of years, the iPhones change to the point you can tell them apart. You know, Nokia is, is basically turning out these things and they all look like each other, um, well, despite the fact there are fairly fundamental differences under the hood. And I wonder if that's going to hold them back as well. We'll find you know, out. It's going to be tough. I like, I like covering this industry, David. I really do. Yeah, I know. But it, I, think, I think from Nokia's point of view, and, and, you know, you look at some of the stuff they're doing, you know, this launch without any... Um, details this kind of bit of a fuss over the advertising the um, the fact that their old phones can't be upgraded to the new version of the operating system well phones this is all things that happen when you count on another company to provide you uh, with the guts of your phone i.e. the yeah, operating system they are but but the problem I think the problem Nokia's facing and this is what worries me for them really is that you know Windows phone is all, was always going to be a tough sell against iPhone and Android who are dominant in this market. And it sounds like, you know, despite that, they, they're kind of going out of the way to further stack the deck against themselves by making all these decisions that are, that are just going to make it harder for them to compete. You know, I, the, I'm quite sure that consumers of Nokia Lumias, oh, yeah, they're all called Nokia Lumia as well, yep. yeah, are going to be fairly upset if they go into a store... And I, I want to buy a, a new Nokia Lumia, please. And they end up being given a Windows 7 phone that looks the same as the ones that are out now, but in fact um, is 12 months old, can't be upgraded, and doesn't do the things that they see in the new shiny ads. And that's that's tough. That's really going to be tough. And you know what? You can't rely on salesmen in AT&T stores or whatever to kind of parse that out for the consumer. You know, while you you're know. talking here, I jumped yeah. on... on uh, Facebook real quick, yeah. And one of my friends on Facebook wrote, uh, 
Amazon has added to the Kindle Fire family with four new HD models. I was drooling over them until I read the small print and found that all four of them include embedded advertising and promotions. Do not want. I wasn't aware that they did that. Uh, I I had read that. Uh, And I had this conversation with my brother when he saw my new Kindle last week because I I explained to him that it was the one with ads. Now, up until recently, we've not had the ad-supported ones in the UK. So he has one that that doesn't have ads on it. So yeah, but I no, showed this it. is she's talking about the Kindle Fire. Yeah, well, this is the this is the thing I explained to him that with the uh, with the e-ink Kindles, basically you only see the ad either at the bottom of the menu screen or um, when the thing's turned off. So he said, "Well, who cares about that? You know, as long as you don't see it when you're reading, who gives a stuff?" But um, that's going to be different with these ones. The wow. ads are going to be a lot more intrusive. And uh, that's a yeah. game. That's a game changer to me. That that. I'll be honest, right there kind of changed some of my opinion about the new 299 9-inch. I, th- I guess it, to me, it depends on what the ads are. I mean, you know. It's never it's, good, though. It's never, well, ever good. If, if, it's, if it's ads for other Amazon services, and, you know, I hate this phrase, but the carefully selected Amazon partners, then maybe it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. The, but it, the, you know it's not tri- going to be. The trick is to keep it classy and to keep it real. And the instant you start seeing tacky ads or intrusive ads, or and the problem with the, with the Kindle Fire is, of course, they will change over time because it's part of the operating system. So, you know, it'll be great. It'll be fine when they, um, you know, if it's just a, a little banner at the bottom of the screen. But as soon as they start doing all that interactive jerky stuff, you know, where somebody's thing gets up and starts walking around and it gets you know. it's more than that david to me and it's something much more simple can i hand my three or four year old my kindle fire hd now without worrying about him accidentally clicking on a freaking advertising that'll be and bringing it back daddy this isn't working anymore because a bmw ad is now running i think that's um that's going to be an interesting one and uh it changed my, it, it it just changed my mind about I look. I wasn't seriously even considered buying one, to be honest. But if I was, that would have turned me off immediately. That's like saying, "Oh, look, here's this new Mac," and oh, by the way, it's going to show ads in the dock all the time. No, not for me. Well, there's, there are some people who won't care about that, uh, and most they'll say, people oh, do. If though. it makes it cheaper, yeah, fine. Yeah, I don't know. You know, uh, we'd be interested to see. Back to uh, Peter Bird's comments. I like the old games. Now, of course, he's talking about the Activision Anthology thing that I uh, that I just bought right before we recorded the last podcast, and I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, he always likes it when old games appear on modern devices, and he's always curious to see how they do, and uh, some are great, and some remind him why those games went away in the first place. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I was really looking forward to playing some of these old games like Barnstorming and Pitfall, and I had someone. I think it was right before we actually recorded from Activision's PR company contact me, wanting to know if I would be interested in getting a copy, and I said, "Well, I already bought it. In fact, I bought all the in-app purchases for six ninety-nine, so I've got everything." And he said, well, let me know how you like it. I said, well, I'll talk about it on uh, TechFan91. Yeah. Well, they listened to TechFan91, and he sent me an email yesterday. He says, thanks for the kind words. Uh, have you had a chance to really play with it yet? And I said, yep. And the controls are atrocious. It's terrible. Um, I said, my understanding is it probably would work much better in, like, an iCade. And I'm seriously considering picking one up because it will work with a few of the games that I've gotten, including the uh, the Atari thing too. But yeah, I, it's atrocious. I'm, um, I'm on the iCAD. I'm waiting for something that's not a cabinet because you I know, really I, I don't want to be carrying. I don't want to have a big bulky thing. I want to be able to carry it around with me. Yeah, ideally. So um, something that the uh, I think they that CES this year they were talking about doing one that was kind of a freestanding joystick type deal and that that's more what I'm interested in it should be a bit cheaper as well the arcade's still a bit expensive well I um, like the idea of of this anthology because back in the day Activision made the, just the best games for the Atari 2600 yeah. it just did but the interface is clunky uh, it took me a little while to figure out how to buy all the games yeah I, don't don't make don't make me purchasing the stuff difficult guys. Hello, 
Yeah. Uh, the interface That's... itself is just kind of crappy. I, I And the controls I are terrible. They, some terrible. of the other arcade ones have gone for this, where they kind of show representation of the... The, the cabinet or the box and all yeah it's like a little full arcade kind of gets in the way is because all you really want is a list and you get to the game you don't care about the box art that's right absolutely no. it, it's uh, a terrible yeah, interface yeah I agree with you I, I bought the um, I bought the full set um, the controls if you if you work at them a little bit and figure out how they the, the joystick doesn't work the way you think it does um, I found that you think that you would put your... And that's thumb- an immediately, that's a fail. Well, I agree, I agree. But, you know, it should be intuitive, and that is not. But I found that, that effectively what you have to do is rather than put your thumb in the middle and move it like you would if you were moving a virtual joystick, you actually what you have to do is is press on the outside of the disc where the joystick is and yep. that actuates the controls. And then once you kind of figure that out, then it becomes a lot easier. And, and you know, some of the games, like I played River Raid using touch controls where you could kind of point to where you wanted the plane to go. Yeah, I found that a little buggy too. Yeah, you know, look, all these things can be, can be addressed. Um, so don't it release it, it until it, you address it. Yeah, I mean, someone play is, this stupid thing and go, wow, the controls really suck. Oh, that's okay. Let's let's kick it out there right now, and yeah, I, we'll I work know. on the control. Look, some people can say, "Well, you yeah, look, it's inherent because it's a touchpad display." I mean, you know, what do you expect? No, I expect more because I've played many touch touch screen controls now that work brilliantly. So I don't want to hear that excuse anymore. You know what would be great? Uh, everybody's suggesting that there uh, is there's quite a lot of evidence now that the um, the dot dot connector for the iPhone, the iPad is going to change with the with the newest devices. It would be great if that became something you could just plug generic devices into. Oh. Can you imagine if you could actually buy an original style Atari joystick and plug it in? Oh, that'd be awesome. That would be fabulous. That would be. Let's uh, let's. <laughs> Fact, let's get a Kickstarter project going for that now. <laughs> well, actually, there is one. Um, let me pull up my iPad because I had it on my iPad. I don't know if I closed that so far. No, I didn't. Um, go to... This is a Kickstarter project. Well, big surprise. Um, and I might actually do this. You need 100 bucks to actually get a device. Right. But uh, it's iosgamedoc.com. Works with the iPhone and the iPad. And uh, it looks pretty freaking cool, dude. It really does. Uh, there's a video, so you can see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see what I mean? I think I'm digging this. It looks like um, uh, it looks like a, a Nintendo Entertainment System. It does, and you can use NES style game pads. Why yeah, couldn't so you, Why couldn't they make an Atari game stick for it? Is this a USB? So it's it basically USB interface. Yes, uh, but it has it has uh, the dock on the back, so you can plug it into your TV. Oh man! I know. I'm really seriously thinking about supporting this one. It's a hundred bucks, but I won't. You know, here's the thing about Kickstarter, uh, and I think they actually already reached their goal. I think their goal was fifty thousand, or maybe. I think it was fifty thousand, and when I checked, they were at fifty-two thousand. The yeah, thing is, fifty-seven now. Yeah. So the thing is, they don't actually charge you your credit card or your PayPal account unless they reach their goal. Yeah. So I know for a fact if I spend a hundred bucks, I am going to get one of these. And uh, it looks really cool. It really does. It's that's what I've been waiting for much more than the iCade. Yeah, unfortunately. And remember, the iCade started yeah. as a practical joke, an April Fool's yeah. joke. Yeah, that's right. Uh, $100 once sold out now. You'd have to spend 125 Really? Yeah. Yeah. But still. I'm interested in that. And I don't think they're going to be the first company to do it. In fact, they're, they're probably... There's people screaming at their speaker right now or their headphones going, this already exists at such and such. <laughs> then they're probably right. If you guys know of a device like this that's already out there in the market... You know, go to techfanpodcast.com, click the contact us button, fill that out. Let us know about this because, hell, I want one. And uh, right before we wrap up here, Dave, Id, I said Dave, David, <laughs> um, I posted something on Facebook last week that uh, a couple of coworkers saw, and we had a discussion. Um, I fired up the Xbox 360. 
but I didn't feel like getting up and actually finding a disc and putting a disc in it. So I thought, oh, let me look at the downloaded stuff that I've got on here. Mm-hmm. And I forgot that I had purchased Grand Theft Auto San Andreas as a downloadable game. It's an Xbox game, but it yeah. works fine on the uh, 360. It, I mean, look, this is a game from 2004, so the graphics look like ass compared to new games. But uh, I thought, oh, I haven't played this in forever. And I was almost done with the game on the PS2 way back in the day. And, of course, you know, those that save game you can't transfer over to the 360 or anything. So I started playing from, you know, the beginning. And I could cut all... I, I, I skipped all the cutscenes because I saw them before. I don't care. I just want to play. I played that a whole hell of a lot. So I was on Facebook later that night, and I said, after much consideration, I think the greatest game of all time, for me, is Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. It doesn't look as good as the new Grand Theft Auto games, um, but it was it was so massive. You had three huge cities that literally, if you, if you went from the very south of the map to the north of the map, just walking your character, it would take you an hour and a half. Yeah. It was, it was so expansive. There were so many things to do. Uh, it, it was just such a fantastic game. And I think that's my favorite game of all time. It really is. Well, I don't want to say favorite. I think it's the best game of all time. Because there's a difference between your favorite game and the yeah. best game. It, I think it's the best game of all time. It's just fantastic. Now, a lot of people don't like those kind of games. So let me know what your favorite games of all time are out there. I'd, I'd love to hear it. Or what you think the number one game of all time would be. I think most people would probably go back to Zelda or Mario or stuff like that. But uh I'll tell you the game that I'd probably put the most hours into ever. Mhm. Which is Elite. Elite. You had heard of Elite? I I'm going to say no. Okay, so this was the very first kind of freeform space trading game. It was written for the 8-bit computers, the BBC Micro is the original one. It came out on the Apple II and the NES and a whole load of others but basically this game was you, you started the game you were in a ship in a space station and uh, you had to trade your way to get better weapons and there was missions and that sort I of thing I do remember that game it was all in wireframe 3D yep um, for, and it was all written the, the, the original game ran in 32k of code with 8 galaxies with hundreds of planets in amazing it was a, a masterpiece of coding and design and a really great fun game to play it was a 3d space simulator but this was 1983 this thing came out yep um and i have played it and played it and played it and pretty much every computer i've ever owned right up until the one i've got sat in front of me here has a version of this game of some description on it either running in an emulator or some 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 people have rewritten it um uh, and it's an, it's now available as an open source game called Olite. Send me a um, link and I'll put it in the show notes because I'm kind of curious uh, about it myself. What's cool about it is that it was written by two guys, and one of them um, still talks about it on his website. And he actually has um, the original code for all the versions that he ever worked on available on his website. So you can download an emulator and you can load the original games. That's awesome. And he talks about the development and all that sort of thing. It's uh, send, send anybody, me, anybody send from the links. UK will will know Elite very well. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't um, so well known in uh, in the US. Well, la- last bit of gaming news here. Yeah, over a year ago, Blizzard sent me StarCraft Two, and I played it a little bit, uh, not a ton. And it's okay, and I never play online against other people because I just get smashed quick. But I thought, uh, yeah, I, I, the kids were watching something on TV, and I couldn't play the San Andreas right then, so I was like, yeah, It was raining outside as well. I thought, you know what? I'm going to play StarCraft Two. So I fired it up. And it said, look, this it was installed on my machine and everything. It has been for a year. And it said it needed to optimize my install. This may take anywhere from 15 to 60 minutes. Well, that put me off immediately. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? I just want to play a game. I don't care how it's installed on my machine. Get the hell out of my way. But no, I, you could not do anything. You had to wait. Yeah. Well, that took two hours, not the 60 minutes that it said. So all of a sudden, now I'm really not happy. To make matters worse... Once I actually launched the game, 
um, there was an update. So guess what I couldn't do? I couldn't do anything. I had to wait for the update. So now I am doubly ticked off. I'm, I'm just not happy at all. So finally the, the update's done, the game relaunches, and I noticed I have to sign in. I, I don't want to play online. I just want to play locally. Uh, yeah. I have to sign. I have to. No other choice. Have to sign on to my Battle.net account. I don't remember what the hell my Battle.net account. I, I didn't know the email address. I didn't know what my password could be. I figured it out, but that was another 10 minutes. I thought, this is bullshit. I just want to play a game. And I know you talked about this, about Blizzard as well in the past, when it came yeah. to uh, Diablo, Diablo 3. 3. I thought, this is this really is bullshit. All I wanted to do three hours ago was to sit down, play a one-on-one skirmish, skirmish game. How do you say that? Skirmish. skirmish game. Thank you. I just wanted to play a one-on-one skirmish game against the computer. Maybe a half hour tops. Yeah. And it took me over three hours before I could finally sit down and play. Well, and look, I, it was fun, and I ended up playing this. like I mean, three I mean, I've games. I've talked about this with Steam as well. Yeah. Steam, I've had the same thing. If you, you come to a Steam game, you've not played it recently, you'll have to sit through the same rubbish. You'll have to log on. It won't let you play it without it, and then it will do all sorts of updates before you can get to play the game. And why be tired if you're on a slow internet connection? I don't have a problem with all of this stuff if you are playing online. And let's face it, the vast majority of people who buy these games like to play them online. And that's all fine. And you know what? If, if people are playing online, I think the, the uh, software developers should throw whatever they want to at them in terms of logon and um, credentials and updates and all that sort of thing. Because you're online. You're, you're participating with an online service in order to play the game. I just wish they'd leave the single player alone. I, I totally agree with you. There is a very small percentage of us out there who just want to play games on our own and we're not interested in all this stuff, you know? Uh, so if you've got an update for us, that's fine. Let us know there's an update, but say, well, you play the game uh, and you'll need to update later. Don't stop us from playing the game so it's all an update, because most of the code in the update has got nothing to do with the single-player experience. Yep. And, you know, also, don't insist that we talk to the servers or log in or anything like that. We just want to play a single-player game. It really ticked me off. Now, that being said, I really had a good time playing. I ended up playing maybe five skirmish matches and I won four of the five. Oh, you see, you know what? You ruined it. You ruined it because I know they, you, should, you shouldn't have played the game after that. You let them win. Well, I would say, well, look, I spent my money. I might as well enjoy it, but I didn't spend my money. They, they sent it to me for free because they wanted me to review it, which I don't think I actually did. Um, but I still wanted to play it. But unlike most people out there, I've got a public forum where I can talk about my displeasure. And God damn it, stop that crap, Blizzard. Knock it off. And look, I, I gave your company two plugs this week because Activision owns Blizzard. So I talked about the anthology and the controls suck. Why don't you fix that for us, please? Since I spent seven bucks on the stupid thing, I'd like to be able to play it. And shame on me for just immediately going in and, and buying all the games before I actually played any. So shame on me there. But this this crap with StarCraft and and uh, Diablo 3, knock it off. Knock it off. Get out of our way and let us play the freaking game. Because if I, if, if I was going somewhere later that night... I never would have had a chance to even play it. And guess what? I would have had a sour, and I still, I'm still a little sour about it, but guess what? I probably never would have gone back to. And guess what? Honestly, I'm not going to buy is the StarCraft 2, the next version, whatever it is, coming out soon. I'm not buying it. Yeah. It's bullshit. Kiss my ass. Uh, I've, I've, you know, I've decided that Diablo 3 is not for me. Much as I was looking forward to it, I'm just not going to play it. I'm really not interested. It, it ticks me off. Get out of my way and let me play my. This is my. This isn't your game, Blizzard. This is my game. Whether you sent it to me for free or I purchase it, it's my game. Stop getting in my way of of my playing a game. What are you stupid? Uh, what, what, what? I don't understand the reasoning behind it. 
Oh, piracy. And, well, this is going to help the gaming experience. Uh, let me worry about the gaming experience. Just give me the option to say, yes, I want to update it because the game will run faster. Or say, no, I'm happy with the way it is. Just get out of my way and let me play. If you want to give me a warning that says, if you don't do this, you can't play any online games, okay, that's fine. I didn't want to play any online games, so I can just skip this and I can get in and play a skirmish. Tim, you're forgetting your place in the universe. You are not a player of the game. You are merely just a potential revenue stream on somebody's spreadsheet. (laughs) You're right there. (laughs) So so with that little mini rant, and I know John John Nemo will uh, take some of that... uh, Uh, I I guess you could say cursing. Strong-worded language. uh, And make another ad. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, We're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan before I really get mad. Again, techfanpodcast.com. Leave us feedback. We'd love that. David and I will will read it right here on the air. Of course, you can send audio feedback. We'd love that, too. Uh, You can do it on any mobile device and mail it to us or record it on your computer and mail it to us. It's Tim at MyMac.com, and we'll read it right here on the air. Any parting thoughts before we wrap up here, David? Uh, Just that next week's going to be a busy week in terms of things to talk about because the uh, Apple Apple thing will have happened, and uh, you and I might be reaching for our credit cards yet again. I won't. (laughs) Whatever whatever Apple comes out, eh, it doesn't really matter. Um, I've, I've... I can't. I wouldn't be able to enjoy any new hardware for a while here. Yeah. Um, we've got. I'm just. I'm just so busy at work. Well, it's, it's this is within my company. There's a serious amount of pent up demand for the next iPhone. There's quite a few of us now who are at the end of our iPhone four contracts and are just waiting for the new device before we go back to our IT and say, right, phone upgrade time. Yep. <laughs> yep. I don't blame you. Uh, so with that, we're going to wrap up uh, this week's. Uh, next week's show, where Dave and I are both good for the, the weeks after that, we're probably going to have to record on a Saturday and then a Sunday because my schedule is crazy. So hopefully we'll be able to do that. If not, one of us will uh, record a tech fan and get it out there. So until then, uh, we'll see you later. Bye.